Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 2022 uh, uh, Outdoor News Deer and Turkey Classic. Sorry. <laughs> it's like I want to say we're, we're boots and backstraps, so that's like how we always start the show. But yeah. we are boots and backstraps, and uh, today we are rolling live at the 2022 Outdoor News Deer and Turkey Classic. So I'm, I'm joined out of studio by my uh, co-host over here and the guy that's learning a whole lot about hunting today. Travis George, Kid George, how you yeah, doing, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing. This is fantastic. I, I've never been to a, anything like this, and uh, it has been nothing but learning since the since walking in here. So it's hilarious as we're walking through, and I'm showing you some of the booths and stuff, and we walk past, and we're talking about all this hunting, and we're talking about guides, and we're they had like a little fishing thing, which I know you're excited about. Yep. <laughs> and then we walk past the eagle area, and you're like, oh, you can hunt eagles. I was like, no. <laughs> No, I, just, I just wanted to make you mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely I, against the law. <laughs> I mean, I was 70% sure you couldn't hunt bald eagles. So, <laughs> Well, our first guest of the day today, we're super excited to have over here in our uh, little area, our boots and backstraps area from the uh, Outdoor News Deer and Turkey Classic, Sean Grabo. How we doing, sir? Good. We're doing great. Good. Thanks for taking a few minutes to talk to us. No problem at all. So now you are over in the area where they're doing the scoring of the, the mounts, right? The yes, racks. yes. Can We're, you tell us kind of what that's all about? Well, um, all the, the guys over there that are doing the measuring are, uh, not all of them, but most of them are Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young certified measures where we've gone out and uh, put our own bill as far as to learn how to measure all these animals. And uh, it's 38 subspecies of animals that we are, are oh, able to measure. Um, more so, we we do all the measuring for the state of Minnesota also. Okay. And uh, we have our own group. It's called Minnesota Official Measures. And uh, we also run the record book for the state of Minnesota. So. And so something that we were just kind of, because uh, Travis over here, Kit, he goes by Kit George. It's kind of his stage name. So he is <laughs> he's new to the hunting world. He's an experienced angler. Mm -hmm. But he's new to hunting. He's kind of getting into that. Mm -hmm. And we were educating him on this Boone and Crockett versus Pope and Young. Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah. Um, Pope and Young is uh, strictly archery equipment. They only accept archery-taken animals. Boone and Crockett takes all of the animals, regardless of method of harvest. Uh, firearms, shotgun, rifle, muzzleloader, crossbow. And they will accept archery also, if it meets their standards. Sure. Um, each... Each organization has a minimum to get in, inches-wise. Sure. And uh, archery is much harder to take an animal with compared to a rifle. Right. <laughs> so, of course, the minimums for Pope and Young are, are considerably less than they are for Boone and Brock. But a person could, theoretically, be in both books, right? Exactly. Yes, yes, I did one yesterday. Uh, nice 186 inch deer he entered Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young he shot it with a with a bow and then of course if it qualifies for those it, it automatically is going to qualify for the Minnesota book also so, so that would be the uh, the ultimate uh, honor to, to be yes. in both yes okay yeah that that there's very I won't say it's rare but uh, uh, there's not a whole lot of people that are able to do that with a quality animal especially with an archery equipment so right, right. Uh, that's quite the feat and, and from a perspective of someone that's maybe a novice or, or inexperienced hunter, a, a typical shooter in Minnesota is like that kind of 100 to 120, right? Yes, yes. Uh, we all think those deer are way bigger, but... Uh, um, when your heart's pounding. Oh, yes, yes. Adrenaline takes over, and uh, sometimes you just are making that shot, and you didn't realize you hardly did it. So, yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah. So, so if you're sort of like typical 
deer where you would say, okay, that's shootable versus one that you'd let pass by because you want it to grow and, and get to be a more mature deer is that 100 to 120, and the one you said you scored was 186? Uh, yesterday I did a 186. Um, today I did a 233. <laughs> uh, what a beast from uh, Roseau County, shot in 1963. It's kind of been passed through their hunting group, and some neighbors got involved, and now it's gotten back to the family, and they wanted to honor that animal and that hunter, so they brought it in here to get it scored. I was the fortunate one to, to measure it, and uh, that was my largest deer I've ever measured. So, And I would assume, so was that shot in Minnesota then? Yes, Roseau County. Oh, Roseau, right. up in north by the Canadian border, yes. Up there by Canada? Canada, yeah. <laughs> and is that is that a record then? Um, it's going to be in the top 25 of the state. Yeah, it's not per se uh, a record for the, for the state of Minnesota, but top 25. Okay. But so uh, by like uh, by what uh, percentage or what number it was your largest uh, largest measure before this? You said this was the largest one you've this ever measured. This is the largest one I've did. Uh, I've been measuring down in Iowa every year also, and I did a 225, a 220. Um, okay. Young young kids that yeah. were shooting those big deer down in Iowa. Yeah, especially but that's a whole nother realm down there. So <laughs> I was gonna say that Lakoski property down there. Oh yes. They grow them big down there. They do. Yeah. That whole state of Iowa, uh, they know what they're doing. Yeah. And, and But Minnesota is changing. It really is. Uh, this is proof in the pudding. The, the, the size of the animals that you're seeing on display here this weekend is um, unreal for Minnesota. So it's starting to catch on. We've got our uh, friend Nikki Frogner here, and I think she brought her deer over, right? Okay, yes, yes. She's going to get that scored, and it sounds like she's number two. Is that true, typical? She, yeah, I believe she is, yes, yes. I haven't gotten to see the deer myself, but uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, so we're pretty excited to get her to sit down and talk about that harvest. Okay. And it was in Scandia, if you know that Yes, area? I do know where that Scandia is, yes. So pretty, pretty pumped about that. So yeah. how many measurements in a day are you typically, like today, oh. because it's a three-day event? Yeah. Um... Boy, I have to imagine it takes some time to do the measurement right. properly. Right, we've got some, we've got some uh, I won't say necessarily young in age, but young measurers in the group. And we're constantly training new people and more people because all we are is getting older, you know how that goes. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so we try to get them as much experience as possible because that's only going to make them a better measure along the line. So yeah. I'm, I'm not generally measuring a whole lot of animals, but I'm walking around helping these younger guys get their feet wet. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I like this last deer that I measured was 233 inches, had 27 <laughs> scorable points. So that's every one of them is a different measurement, uh, different ways of, of finding to get that measurement. So so now when you say scorable points, what makes it a scorable point? Uh, it's got to be an inch long before it's an inch wide. Okay. So. And so when you're saying inch wide, you're talking as it gets closer to the main beam, right? Yes, yes, as to where the cutoff is on the main beam or if it's an abnormal point, it's got to be an inch longer than it is an inch wide at that dissection. Yep. And, and how finite are you going? Are you going to like eighth of an inch? We, we, we measure to an eighth uh, and we round up. Uh, with bears, we measure to a sixteenth. Wow. So. Okay. Yeah. But now this weekend, it's it's just deer and turkey, right? Uh, yeah, but we've got Minnesota. We'll measure anything that comes in the door. And Minnesota has a, a really good population of bears. Right, so black bear, right? So we've been seeing a lot of really nice bears coming in for measurements. Okay. 
So when they bring a bear in for measurement, how, are they bringing the entire pelt in? Nope, nope. It's just the uh, beetled out, dried skull. Okay. And there's only two measurements, so it's a pretty quick process. So I want him to hear about this because I know about this. And he, you heard him say beetled out. Can you uh, yes. give him the insight I, on I, I have an idea, but, uh-huh. but I, I want to hear this. Um, it's like a horror movie. Well, in order to, you have to have a drying period of 60 days. So that, that skull has to be completely dried and free of muscle material, fat, cartilage, all that stuff. Yes, yes. So generally speaking, you could boil it or you can use what they call these dermicide beetles. Those are the best way because you don't get the shrinkage with the dermicide beetles as you would boiling the skull. Because that will shrink it more. And of course you want to try to keep it as large as you can. So uh, there's there's getting to be a lot of people that are there. They own these dermicide beetles, and you bring them the skull. He cleans out everything he possibly can. He puts it in his in his box with the beetles. They clean it completely, and then he usually peroxides it and, and whitens it, and then seals it. Nice, nice, clean finish. No no meat or anything. At that 60 days is when we will measure it as long as that is cleaned up. So. <laughs> How accessible is it to get your hands on dermicide beetles? Uh, like is that something the you problem, gotta, the can problem, you get them on Amazon? <laughs> well, no, I, I don't think you can, but the problem with dermicide beetles is you don't want to have any taxidermy work in your house. Because it only takes one to get out, and he's going to ruin your taxidermy. Oh, I can imagine. So so how, uh, bi- how big are these beetles? Oh, they're just tiny. Like, a, like, tiny. Lady, like ladybug? Well, they Tiny might be or? a little bit longer, but they're okay. pretty kind of flat. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, and of course, the older they get, they, they get lazy too, and they just keep having babies. And you want the babies to, because they take care of stuff right now. They're hungry. So. <laughs> That's a, you think about that. Like you said, you don't want any of them to get out. And if they're no. that small, it'd be hard to keep them no. contained. No. A, a good, a good uh, beetle person only does beetles. He doesn't do any taxidermy work because he's going to run into issues. Because <laughs> they are going to get out eventually. And they will take care of that hide right now. Wow. So That's impressive. Yeah. So how many, um, I know it's hard to say for this weekend specifically, but given years past and your experience, how many do you, people do you think will come through and bring mounts for scoring over the course of the weekend? Oh, gosh. Hundreds? Um, yeah, I I wouldn't surprised if we're not going to be up at 350 to 400. Wow! But we haven't had a show now for two years because of COVID. We got shut down two years ago, so we're almost working on three years of of, of heads that have not been touched. So yeah, we had Eric on the show before this okay. to talk, or last week to talk a little bit about this weekend. Uh-huh. And he mentioned snow, right? Yes. Yes. Two years ago. Yes. Well, snow, um, but the governor shut us down after the first day. That, yeah, that was that was two years ago, and then last year it was snow that basically shut you guys down. Well, last year I didn't think anything was on the schedule. Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> Only because it's it's such a commitment, you've got to make that call real early. Yeah. I think that's why we didn't have a shot. Oh, I'm yeah. sure. Not knowing where COVID was going to be, yeah. the snowstorms, the whole thing. Minnesota, you get four seasons in one day, so. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, especially next week because they're saying like 50s next week. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of the white stuff right now. <laughs> the last couple of days have been brutal. That wind. Yes. yes Unbelievable. It, has. it really has. 
I know, it's blowing his skirt up. I'm like, oh, I'm going to follow yeah, him around and keep yeah. that thing down. I went to go fix my plow truck the other day, and I couldn't get my plow out of the ground. It was stuck. So I like, like I was. I had to, like, you know, hammer the gas just to break it loose just sure. to lift it. I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Only in Minnesota. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, John. Well, thank you very much for making a few minutes to talk to us. No problem. Make sure to like and subscribe, and please hit that bell icon. Stay tuned for more. Boots and Backstraps, brought to you by Homes by Shane and produced by Danny Geo Productions. Boots and Backstraps is proudly brought to you by Homes by Shane. Making your move with the Homes by Shane team means an unparalleled customer service experience. That level of service is the foundation of this referral-based business. Our driven team of experts communicate with their clients every step of the way, ensuring a memorable experience from the first conversation through your closing day. Go to homesbyshane.com for more information. Let's get you home. Folks, now we're entering uh, what's become kind of a, my favorite uh, part of the show because it gets me a chance to reflect on some uh, wonderful times that I had in my life hosting the WeFest. Uh, I'm joined by my beautiful wife, Lynn, Hello. known as Lynn Kitty at the WeFest. <laughs> Lynn was our stage producer for 20 years, and uh, she's been married to me for 30 years. God bless her. We just celebrated our 30th anniversary uh, just a couple weeks ago. And that means we've been together for 32 and a half years. So there you go. So Lynn picked out a couple of photos. And I'm just going to tell a brief little story about each one of them. It's kind of a segment what we do. Um, I guess acquiring all these autograph photos over 35 years, there's certainly more than 100 of them. And... I really like doing this because I like remembering the interaction that I had with these different people. Uh, Otherwise, you just, they're in a box, you forget about them. Some of them are on the wall. We had had over 100 of them on the wall at Red Oak Steaks and Wine, Mm -hmm. which is a steakhouse that Lynn and I own together in Lionel Lakes. And now they're off the wall, they're in boxes, and we got so many animals on the walls that I can't find a space for these anymore. Yeah. So we get to take a little trip down memory lane and yep. and look at some of these pictures and then see what uh, what memory is sparked by you seeing the picture. So Tom no. does not know what pictures I chose. Right. And um, I'm trying to pick ones that I know of a memory, so I can help out too. I would say that by judging these are older frames, because yeah. Lynn certainly has met most of these artists after 20 years and but these are old enough to where you probably never met these people maybe not <laughs> i guess we'll find out there's two of them and i'll just go ahead and pick one up oh 
Now that brings back a memory. All right, show the everybody. You bet. There you go. Wild Rose is the Wild name of this Rose. band. And it was an all-female band. Um, and they weren't around a long time, were they? No. Uh, these girls, uh, a couple of them are sisters, and mm -hmm. uh, they, they were so much fun. And they were just a ton of energy a on stage. Energy, yeah. And I'll keep this up this way, I guess. If I need to look at it, I'll look at it on the screen there. So they had a really popular song that I always wanted you to play for me while you were in the, we were in the nightclub. Do you remember what the name of the song was? No. I don't remember either. Oh, no. But I remember that they played the song and you always played it for me. I loved it. was a real upbeat, fun dancing song. Yeah, so. Wild Rose, but they were just tons of energy and I got to walk out and give each one of them flowers. So mm -hmm. on my hand, I had written all of their names sure. so I wouldn't forget because there's five of them. And uh, they were just a ball. No place like home? No. No? Mm. Um, I don't know if you can tap, type in uh, their number one hit or their biggest hit and if it would come up, but they had some great songs, just yeah. great songs. And they weren't only around a couple of years, you know. And what was the other group, the sisters? Remember? Breaking New Ground? That might have been it. That might have been it. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, it's been so long. I mean, I don't remember. They what have um, their top songs. It looks like uh, Breaking New Ground, Go Down Swinging. And Go Down Swinging. Go Down Swinging. That okay. was it. That was it. Yeah, it was fun. They were fun. Sense. They were fun. There's a million people in here today, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit overwhelming to be honest with you. I, I, got, I got stuck in a whole bunch of antlers over there. I'm like, I got to go back and sit down. I, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> I, I will say that having been to this show a couple times before, that moving it here was really the, the smart way to go because as much fun as the state fairgrounds were, it was a definitely like a smaller facility and they weren't able to kind of spread things out. Now it seems like they can have more vendors, the vendors can have more room. Um, they've got all these concessions and stuff are set up way better. They've got this full bar behind us, which may be dangerous. I think it is. Well, and they have two, and they got two levels of all this. Right. So, right, right. Yeah. yeah, Jill was saying we first got here, started setting gear up. She was like, hey, let's go. You know, do shots or something, and I'm like, uh, maybe not at, you know, 10 o'clock in the morning. But Shane, you're getting old, bud. I am getting, getting old. old. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, though, I'm super excited for our next guest. We've got another VIP sitting with I us. I am too. And you know what? Before I actually saw him, I heard him. Right. So, go ahead. Yeah, he was like, is is there like some agreeable woman over there just going, yep, 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 yep. yep. <laughs> like, no, not exactly. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, championship uh, turkey caller Jeff Frederick is sitting with us. Hello, Sorry, Jeff. hello. <laughs> Yes, uh, I'm a turkey caller, I admit. <laughs> wait, wait, are you in recovery? or? Like <laughs> no, no, I mean, I probably should be, but, uh, yeah. I'm full-on addicted turkey caller. You are, and, and quite good at it, I will say. Yeah. Having uh, heard you rip off a few, not just today, but Yeah, you know, in order to sell my product, i got to demonstrate yeah. it. So, you know, a lot of calling, a lot of calling involved. <laughs> just let me know if you want me to call. I'll call. Yeah, let's let's get a little All sample right, here. here we go. <laughs> Did I blow up the... <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> here, how's about this one? Try this one. <laughs> That's awesome. See, I thought I had a, a good turkey call because I'd go. 
Yeah, well. That's way better. Way better. Way better. Of course, he's a professional. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a guy that talks on the microphone. I, I didn't I didn't know actually somebody was doing that with their mouth over there. I thought they had some tools going and everything else. Oh, I, no, I thought it was just, a recording. This is just me. I walk over there. I stood there for a while. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah, this is going to be awesome. This. <laughs> he pushes the button and it just happens, right? So how many years have you been part of this show now? Since the beginning. Okay. How long has that been? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. <laughs> it's a long time. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Love Minnesota. Love the show. Uh, like you said, I love this facility. Yeah. Man, yeah. I got a really just the the lighting, the the space for my customers to come and talk to me. Yeah, I love it. And we yeah, were just saying, it, was, you if you come down here, he does have a prime spot, so make sure you come hang out with yeah. him. Perfect. Yeah. Like if you don't see him, then you're coming up the escalator with your eyes closed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I've got uh, just not just turkey calls, but a lot. I'm a wildlife artist. I have a lot of my wildlife art on display, and uh, yeah, I really tried to put a nice booth together and then I get to make some noise so for people that are not familiar with turkey calls you know okay. whatever yep how many different types of calls are there well there's there's primarily air operated calls and friction operated calls now what I'm running here is an air operated call that fits all the way inside my mouth reed right yeah it's a little reed it's a little musical instrument basically and yeah. that's kind of how I try to teach people how to use this thing because a lot of people yeah, oh geez a turkey call they get it and they put it in their mouth and they're gonna <laughs> make turkey sounds right away but you know what it's really just a real simple little musical instrument you gotta learn the different tones before you can sound like a turkey you gotta you gotta figure out what does what so how long before like like when you first started how long before you're like i, I got something here let's uh let's turn this into a business uh, you know what i started this so long ago i don't really remember <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not a bad the, answer <laughs> listen here's the story so i'm a i'm a 11 12 year old kid my dad's a taxidermist so what I did, it was a family trip. We would come to shows like this because he would go there and compete in taxidermy competitions. And it was a family trip. We'd all go to the sports show. And so here I am, a 11, 12-year-old hunting fanatic kid, and the show promoter would give me little odd jobs to do, and I'd end up with a $20 bill. Now let me tell you, I'm a taxidermist kid, we didn't get a lot of $20 bills. <laughs> so what did I do with that extra cash? I'm hanging around the booth where these guys with very bizarre accents that I wasn't familiar with, here they're making cool noises with a little thing they stick inside their mouth. So what did I buy with my 20 bucks? A mouth call. Uh, there you go. <laughs> I bet you your parents were very pleased with that. Oh, of course. Just the noises coming out of your bedroom. <laughs> To add to the so noises that were already there. It was there. a while ago. Like, this is mid-80s, okay? <laughs> yeah, this is mid-80s. Okay, yeah. All right. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> like, that's yep. when he was born. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, then these, these really friendly guys who I didn't know nothing about turkey hunting. It was just new and cool to me. And they said, you know, you, you run that thing pretty good. Y'all should try turkey cone contest. They got one here. Well, guess what? I tried it, and unfortunately, I won <laughs> that first contest, and that's it. I'm addicted, yeah, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so how many, because I was 
obviously getting a little more familiar with your bio, knowing you were going to be here, yeah. and not knowing really all your backstory. But it's really interesting because you've been in competition for like 30 years, right? Well, yeah, I retired from calling contests in 2010, and then that's when I started really focusing on, you know, selling my product and working on my wildlife art. Turn your skill into an income. Yeah, yeah. Turn well, your, it's not great, but, but we're working on it. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds more. It sounds like more like turning your passion into some, you know, yeah. in, into in, yep. into money. Yep. And <laughs> I and I was a art director at a sign company for 20 years, and eventually I got to the point where I just do the the wildlife art primarily and the turkey calls full time. So at this point, uh, you're, I know you're not competing, but you, I assume you're still hunting. Oh, yeah. Because you can't get that out of your blood, right? Oh, no. That, that was always the primary focus. The reason I went to calling contests was because I knew that I didn't want to make mistakes when I was out hunting. I, and, and really, it just equated to confidence in what I was doing. When, you're, when you practice so much with your tool, you get a little cocky, okay? You're like, yeah. hey, you know, I'd call and a turkey didn't gobble and I didn't think to my, you know, once I got like really practiced and I won some contests, it changes your mindset. You're like, okay, so this turkey didn't gobble at me. Well, it ain't my fault. I know I sound like a hen turkey. It, what a, it's his problem, you know? And that's, that's the kind of attitude that I try and portray when I'm doing my seminars. Everybody should adopt that because the reality is, the truth is, a gobbler doesn't care if you sound like a champion caller at all. He <laughs> yep. could care less. Right. As long as your mindset is that you're a champion caller and you're cocky about it and you're confident, your success rate will rise. It's so true. I mean, it, uh, with turkey, with deer, where you're grunting them in, like whatever it is, yeah. sometimes they are just not interested because they're not interested. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you're not doing nothing wrong. So, yeah, it's like, well, I know I sound good. <laughs> whatever. That's your problem, not mine. <laughs> you're too small anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at that pathetic little beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh. So uh, do you do any, like, guiding or anything or just kind of hunting with you and your family? No, I. it's me and my family. Uh, I got... I got three teenagers, you know, they they all uh, really like it when dad calls them in a turkey, so <laughs> I'm busy job. on that end, yeah, yeah. I was like, you're going to get real busy here next month. <laughs> yes, sir, yep. <laughs> yeah, they, got, they all drew some tags, so. <laughs> okay, and are you guys from this area then? Uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin area, out in the country there by La Crosse. Yep. Are, you, are you Packer fans? Yeah. <laughs> we won't hold that against you. Yeah. Well, you know, obviously my focus is hunting. So, yes. you know, if 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 I got my big buck, yeah, I'll watch the game. <laughs> well, you got to be pretty thrilled about keeping Rodgers then. Well, I, I guess. You know, my, you know, okay, so my thing is, okay, well, okay, we're keeping Rodgers. Why he hasn't asked me to take him turkey hunting, I guess that that's that's my issue. Well, well, I like, we'll I'm have to send him something. Yeah. I'm not even sure he eats meat. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know that hair thing, and he started dating that gal from California, Sheila yeah. Woodley or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, uh, he might be what you might call a vegetarian or whatever. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be uh, that'd be interesting though for you to take somebody out like that. Yeah, it sure would be. Because there are a lot of athletes that are into hunting. Oh, there's no doubt. I'm pretty sure Brett Favre. I would like to take him turkey hunting if you're listening. <laughs> Down in Mississippi. Yeah. So is this the only show that you participate in? I have to assume that you're trying to, like, you set your booth up in, in other opportunities, right? I'll have a different show that's in the Wisconsin Dells. 
Okay. Yep. And when is that one? And I really, I really rely a lot too on my online sales. Okay. Yep. What's the website? Uh, FrederickChampionsChoice.com. F-R-E-D-R-I-C-K ChampionsChoice.com. Yeah, we got to make sure we get that plug out. Absolutely. Yeah. So what we do is we translate all this content to our social media pages too. Oh, sure. And so what we'll do is we'll put hyperlinks for the website as part of your interview. Okay, so here's, I'm going to admit, you know, I'm 50. Yeah, social media. I, I, I'm, in uh, I'm in there. I'm in there, but but it, it's a challenge for me. You're not like that old lady on the <laughs> I got to ask my teenage kids, uh, so what? What do I do on Instagram? You know, how do I do this? Right. <laughs> I'm 39 right now, and I have found me, myself asking my teenagers too. I'm like, oh my gosh, here I am. I didn't think it was gonna happen so soon. I don't know what's going on. You're too young to be a boomer, but they'd call you a boomer. <laughs> I can't figure out anything anymore. I thought I had the social media thing, you know, handled. I do not. Yeah. I it's, do not. Yeah. It's crazy. So like the platforms they just keep popping up right yeah and they change from a technology standpoint so we did a as part of my business i do real estate full-time during the day oh yeah and uh so we went to this jill my executive assistant and i went to this social media summit thing where they Ooh. talked about social media and its influences in market space particularly real estate and this guy dropped this nugget on there and he said did you know that in 2020 and 2021 TikTok got more hits like site visits than google i was like Wow, I mean that's saying something that that's where we oh are. My. Yeah. So if you're not already doing it, you got to get those teenagers putting up like yeah. little short I was clips. Say, did TikTok just go right over your head? Oh yeah, yeah. This all went over my head. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I don't. I, I don't it. know what you're talking about. <laughs> Have your kids listen to this. They're gonna go. We got it, Dad. Oh, we got, we got it. it. Yep. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> So now you've been pretty busy over there, and I have yeah. to imagine it's it's got to be challenging for you to want to talk with folks because I know you like to like just kind of chat with people, get to know people. I do. But yep. at the same time, there's an expectation because you are a champion. They're coming here to see you. They want to hear you, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you you know, yeah, they want me to. I would they say I don't think call. he has a problem throwing it out there. I mean, I've been hearing him the whole time. I'm yeah. like, I think he enjoys it. Yeah. 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 And if, like like we said earlier, if it's a passion, I mean, it's a it's a really easy way I, to make some money. I make sure that I spend as much time as I can with each customer because I know if I get them started on the right foot, running a mouth call, or you know they're looking at some of my wildlife art, I, I'd like to spend some time with them. That's why I'm here at this show is because I can talk with my customer face to face. They can meet me. I can meet them. It's something you cannot replace with social media. Oh, right. One-on-one exactly -on -one right. personal contact. That relationship building, yeah, that's a that's how you build that sort of long-term customer, yep. And then that turns into referral, right? Oh, yeah, big time. You spend ten minutes with one yeah. couple, explaining that they, you know, they've got some interest. They come to you. You're talking to them about your product. You demonstrate it. Yeah, they get excited. You build a little relationship and rapport with them, and they tell ten of their friends, "Hey, you're also turkey hunters, or you're deer hunters, or you're into wildlife." Um, portraiture or whatever it may be yep and then they're going to your website and they're buying stuff too absolutely well, yeah, that's how it especially works. with you spending that face-to-face -face time uh, I met this guy he's fantastic check him out that's, yeah. a, that's a good way to go he's yep. so boring uh, <laughs> <laughs> can you give us another sample oh, I'd yeah. love to hear it yep. oh wait wait maybe we shouldn't while they're presenting I'll go quiet there you go And that's a hen, right? A little hen talk. Yep, <laughs> she's just quiet, not not talking real loud. But sometimes you want to tease them old toms. Yep. 
can you give us, and I don't want you to give away like your whole playbook, but can you give us like a little insight? Like you're, you plan, you're taking your kid out to go on a turkey hunt. What does it look like when you're, you pick a spot, you go set up, like you're, you're in a ground blind or you're just like in camo or like what does it look like for you? Yeah, it highly is, it, the, it, it's very variable. And, and what I've learned over my 33, 34 years of turkey hunting is it's very dependent on the property itself. Uh, it's, so some properties I hunt are, my property is 36 acres. Another property I hunt is 200 acres. Another property I hunt is 500. I'm going to hunt those a little different. And the okay. terrain has a big factor on that too. So one of the properties I hunt uh, is a large field up on a ridge top. And, there, and, the, and the woods is all very steep and hard to hunt. So I typically like to get a blind right out in the middle of the field because over the years I learned I know where the turkeys like to end up after they fly down they come out in them fields so I'll hunt it that way I hunt out of a ground blind that way sometimes uh, you know in certain woods where it's more wooded there's not as many fields I will just put the camo on and and the kids and I'll take a, a gun and just a few mouth calls and we'll do the traditional old fun way of hunting where you just set up against a tree and you wait them out uh, call them in and uh, so it's really kind of dependent uh, you know, I, in my seminar, I talk about how I encourage people to kind of pre-plan, think about your property, hunt it somewhat low impact. You know, if you own 20 acres, you don't want to be out there with the, the term run and gun. Yeah, right. I don't like the term run and gun. Run and gun can be translated as impatient and high impact. Yeah. Okay. It's good for elk, but not so much for birds. <laughs> you know, uh you got to be careful. You don't want to spook everything, you know, and constantly be, you know, once you spook some turkeys, eh, they it probably they're used to getting spooked by different predators and different things. But, you know, you're pretty much done for a good half of the day. They're not going to be apt and willing to come into a call per se, you know, after you chase them off a field. So, right. yeah. Oh, uh, it's no know, big deal. There's nothing there. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's something that. You know, it, it's just smart hunting. Look at your property, and I use all the different, you know, as long as it's an ethical, fair way to pursue my quarry, the awesome, most beautiful, cool bird on earth, the wild turkey gobbler, as long as I'm doing it ethically and I'm giving them a fair shot, um, you know, blinds sitting in the woods, I'm mainly picking that style of hunting based off of what the property is gonna you know dictate me doing how do you feel about the populations in the last few years well i mean that's a good question and it's definitely a hot topic right now the uh nationwide there is some general population declines and there's some super good research going on and i'm really into reading the research papers that they're doing about some of the turkey declines and uh you know uh the the hunting pressure definitely has a bearing on some of this in some parts of the we're, we're really fortunate up here in the upper midwest we still have a super healthy turkey population but i as a turkey lover don't want to lose that so right. i mean i'm totally uh, I read everything that is conservation-minded. Uh, we got to preserve this resource so that my kids and in the future, 
anyone who's really into turkeys can have that one-on-one -on -one battle with a gobbler on, on a fair chase type situation. It's interesting because Tom and I went to the Black Hills a couple years ago. Yeah. It was my first time hunting the Black Hills. I'd been there several times just checking it out, obviously. as kind of a tourist or whatever. I love that, that part about West. Um, but so anyway, so we go out there, and he had half a dozen spots he'd had a lot of success with in, in the past. Yeah. And we went to every one of those spots, plus probably another half dozen from talking to locals trying to find turkeys. And we didn't see a single turkey that wasn't in a development where there's like residential. Oh, and so locals yeah. are basically saying that the population has declined so much in that area that the turkeys that are there are in those developments because they know they're safe. They can't be hunted. Yeah, yeah. And out in the wild areas where you would typically find them, just nothing. I mean, we're not seeing scratch. We're not seeing anything. Wow. Pretty incredible. Yeah, and, and it's really sad because, I mean, I I came to age in the turkey hunting world in the population boom. I mean, my gosh, it was incredible. Take your pick. Minnesota, <laughs> Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, the upper Midwest. I mean, I hunted all over the country, you know, uh, way out west, Oregon, Washington, Idaho. I hunted Texas, Oklahoma, you know, kind of that southwest area. Tom loves Nebraska. Yeah, uh, Nebraska. I've hunted Colorado. I've hunted South Dakota, Montana. Um, and every time, you know, so you're driving out there in the spring and you're driving home in the spring and I'd get into the driftless region of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and I just knew in my heart this is some of the greatest turkey country on in the nation. Yeah. And uh, it's always been very good. And, and that's what I'm saying is, you know, let's do everything we can to preserve this resource. Uh, because what the research is finding out is it's never one element that is to blame for turkey decline. It's always a, a, a variety of factors and, and so one of the researchers described it as like a football game. And, you know, sometimes the, sometimes the special teams kind of wins the game. Sometimes the offense wins the game. Sometimes the defense wins the game. Not so well, much defense around here, brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and unfortunately, there's all these different factors. And in and, and, and a lot of parts of the country, the turkey is losing. They're losing... They, they aren't, they don't have all the things lined up that they need to, because here's the bottom line, to have an adult turkey to hunt, you got to have a little baby turkey. Yeah. Yep. Right. And it's the baby turkeys what's important. Yes. Of yep. course. Just right. like with deer, just like with waterfowl, just like with pheasants. Yeah. Yeah. Or human beings, that like replacement value is something yeah. that, that we constantly talk about. Like, okay, our, our but not to say that people hunt people, but <laughs> you know, you think about there are some areas of the world where they're they're not having as many kids yeah. and people are dying and it's like, okay, you're going to have an issue in a generation or two. Yeah. And we're seeing that now with some of these populations of, of game animals yeah. where they don't have that, where they didn't, ha they weren't breeding the way they should because they got too, there was too much hunting, especially with the younger deer yep. they didn't grow up. They didn't have kids. Now we got a problem. Yep. You know, they don't come out of nowhere. Yep. So, I mean, I basically do my part. Uh, as you know, whatever turkey pro guy who's doing his talks, do the seminars and stuff. I always make sure I add in a little bit of the conservation ethic part of it. Um, that's the bottom line: is is if you're taking from nature, 
you should always give back just a little bit more than what you take. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about that conservation piece and how important it is yep. and why hunting is conservation um, because uh, yep. the, the natural predatory issues, especially like in Minnesota, northern Minnesota, and I don't know if, it, if that's an issue in Wisconsin with like wolves and things like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a, I mean, they're wiping out deer population or wiping out all kinds of stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. Yep. So anyway, so back to calling. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the fun part. Of, you know, I mean, what kind of hunting can you really focus on making goofy noises with a little gadget inside your mouth? That's the that's what drew me to it. That's why I love it so much. And 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 to practice with this little musical instrument, and then you go out in the woods on a beautiful spring morning, and you make your little call, and a big old gobbler gobbles back. There ain't nothing like it. As Tom would say, a limb hanger. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. noticed you got some pretty impressive spurs on that oh, necklace. Oh, yeah. There, yep, yep. Well, I've been fortunate to shoot a few turkeys in my day. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. You're not getting you're not getting over that one that easy. <laughs> How many gobblers would you say you've harvested in your in your no life? No clue. Like, I never kept track. <laughs> you think we're into three digits? Oh, yeah. That's, that's oh, amazing. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so um, you've eaten well, you're saying. Okay. Okay. So here's the deal. So uh, wild turkey is my family of five, and, you know, with me included. It's our number one favorite meal is wild turkey. I make it the same way every time. Uh, and that is, I mean, we go through a lot of turkeys every year. You bake year. it, you fry it, you smoke it. So what I do is I slow cook it. And I and I I don't just take the breast. I take the breast, the thighs, the legs, the little nice piece of meat up on the back. I take all the meat off, and then I slow cook it overnight. You know, a good 12, 14, 16 hours of slow cooking till the meat is falling apart. And then I take it out of the slow cooker and I kind of shred it. Okay. Uh, and basically, Full especially turkey. the yeah, kind of. So it's but I add a little bit to it yet. Okay. Uh, so. You know, the breast of a wild turkey is somewhat dry, right? It's which make it's, it's healthy. So then what I do is I shred it and I take a mix. It's like a frying magic mix. Okay. And I shake it in that and then I fry it with like canola oil and olive oil mix, something like that, you know, because that replaces some moisture. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really? Oh, yeah. It's good. <laughs> yep. It's, oh, what, what do we eat? We eat it with cranberries. <laughs> You never know with these shows. Yeah, we eat it with cranberries, <laughs> squash is good with it. Yeah, potatoes. Mm -hmm. oh, that sounds amazing. So you, how many, I mean, do you have like a goal of how many you try to harvest each year so you can stock up and save save in the freezer for yeah, the year? Yeah, 10 to 12. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I was just About thinking. About one a month. Yeah, we eat at least one turkey a month. That's great. Yeah. And it must be a little easier now because the kids are at that point where they are oh, having yeah. some success. Oh, yeah, they're taking some pressure off Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Dad doesn't have to knock down eight anymore. Now you can <laughs> knock down four, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. That's great. And do you have a preference when you're hunting, whether firearm or archery? You kind of like both? Yeah, I primarily use a uh, firearm. Okay. Yep, yep. Uh, always been a shotgunner. Love shotgunning. To me, you know, uh, because I'm a turkey caller, and, and, and it's, it's the process of bringing the bird into range is, is what I that's where I derive my hunting pleasure from. So once I get a bird in range, I just, I want, if this is a bird I'm going to take yeah. and, and eat, I'm going to kill him. He's going to be dead, right? Yep. Once Not I get to that stage, 
I want it done as clean and clean as possible. Right. Yep. Because because really everything prior to that moment in time is what I derived out of the hunt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you use a, a bow and arrow, then you have that problem of potentially ruining meat, right? Uh, it can, it can. But I, I mean, bow hunting is cool too. Yep. The cool part about bow hunting turkeys is it's totally silent. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's cool about bow hunting. I was uh, thinking about when we went on that uh, hunt to the Black Hills I was mentioning. Yeah. And it was my first time hunting turkey. And Tom was, we were talking on the way out there. He's giving me the 411 and his experience. And he's obviously an experienced hunter. And uh, and he was, I was like, okay, so how do you sort of avoid having this problem of picking a bunch of BBs out of the meat? And he's like looking at me all funny, and I'm like, "What?" And he goes, "You shoot him in the head, dummy." <laughs> Haul him in close, shoot him in the head. That's yep. right. Yep. Yeah, because you're not eating nothing off that head. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, how many mounts do you have? I have to imagine you've, you've gotten a few that have been more impressive. Oh yeah. Um, so I do a unique, I do a unique thing to my turkeys, and and it's it's feather art. So what I okay. do is I create abstract compositions wall art with the turkey's feathers just feathers yep okay yep the fat just the turkey's feathers and this is prime this is a primary part of my business so okay. people all over the country send me their turkey feathers and then i create artwork with them i'm not painting on them i'm actually using the feather as my medium to create these abstract pieces of artwork so that so is a primary part of my business right now so tell me more about that process when somebody hires you right yep to do this yep and they're going to send you the medium the feathers yep do they give you something for inspiration do they just kind of give you carte blanche so i have two kind of uh standard formats that i work in and then sometimes a customer will say well i have a certain size space on my wall can you create a piece of artwork to fit in that space? And that's kind of where it, that's where it starts. Now, what I have is on my YouTube channel, yeah. Jeff Frederick Champion's Choice. I have a YouTube channel. I have specific instructions of how I want my customer to skin the turkey and then handle the turkey, freeze it, and then I have specific shipping instructions for them to ship the skin to me. Okay. I produce the artwork for them. Most of my customers is, is mainly messaging, you know, over the over my social media sites and my sure. emailing. And uh, then what I do is I finish the artwork, send them a picture, box it up, and ship it back to them. Wow. Now yeah. that's impressive. Yes. I have to imagine it's quite the process to have care that way for the animal. Yeah. To make sure that you get a usable product to do what you do. What's, well, the, what's it, the turnaround on that? Like, uh, if they send it to you and they come up with the idea, uh, how long does it take to get the product back to them? Months to two months. Wow. Okay. Yeah, currently. Uh, with the workload I currently have. Sure. Yeah. Which sure. maybe increases, you know. <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, well, it's a little tougher in that, like, March, April area, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because you're, you're sitting out with a gun in your hand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> production slows down just a little bit. Just yeah. a tad. Yeah, but uh, due yes. to weather. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But yeah, so that's kind of how I do that, and uh, it's it's been going well. Uh, and like I said, it's 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 unique abstract wall art created with the most gorgeous feathers 
in the world, which are iridescent turkey feathers. Okay. Yeah. I was like, do you you must get because I know they have the Grand Slam back here. Oh yeah. And I would assume that people send you all these different types of yep. feathers, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you yep. ever get like creative and like mix the different breeds? I you know what I uh, I have one customer who's kind of hinting at that. Okay. So yeah, I'll probably do it. Oh, I can definitely do it. I have a piece. Uh, my brother went on a duck hunt and he got some teal, some green wing teal, and some gadwall. And I have a piece that is for the hunt. So that one piece of art has three green wing parts of three green wing teal and a gadwall in it. Okay. Yeah. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. I, I might have to like look you up. You I gotta can knock come and it. check it out. Yeah. I gotta <laughs> knock a turkey down first. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll uh, we'll definitely like hire you. Yep. So uh, it's funny because when we're back there looking at stuff, people often look at the oscillated specific yeah. turkey and think, oh, that can't be real, right? Oh yeah, them are cool. Very cool. Yep. Beautiful. I mean, the coloration. You you. What was the joke you dropped back there? Which one? The one? It looks like an alien. No no no. <laughs> well, that about the hiding. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure they can hide in the wild pretty well, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> the bright, bright blue head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the really iridescent feathers, yeah. 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 So there's six specific species, right? Yeah. So there's five of the, uh, I guess you could call, regular turkey like we know. Right. Uh, there is a eastern, that's the upper Midwest, you know, most of the eastern part of the United States. Down in Florida, you have an Osceola. Uh, kind of the northwest part of the country, it's uh, Merriam's in the mountain countries, and they are also in prairies. And then when you go down into Oklahoma and Texas, it's uh, called the Rio Grande. And they all have a little, they're subspecies of the same species. Right. Uh, and they all have a little bit different coloration of their feathers. And that's probably a byproduct of their diet and the climate and all that stuff, right? <laughs> yep. It, well, yeah, and, and it, it, it is an actual genetic variation oh, okay. of the of that wild turkey and then also there is a there's one down in the yucatan in mexico that's called the oscillated and it's a cousin of the north american wild turkey okay yeah and that's, that's the one we're that's talking the about. one yeah. you're talking about yeah with the Beautiful. very it's very jungle like so more the more of the bird you know like if you if you've watched like nature shows like the birds that the birds of paradise in the jungle it seems like the more tropical the more vibrant and amazing the the different feather types are and yeah. the iridescent types yeah and it's not like frogs like the more colorful they are the more poisonous they are or anything like that well, well it could be yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't think turkeys are poisonous well, maybe i guess I, i'm just guessing here so yeah and that's why the wild turkey is a native of North American, you know, bird. And if you look at how iridescent it is, it really, I mean, and granted, I mean, rough grouse and, you know, other native species, you know, you look at prairie chickens and sharp tails and sage grouse, you know, they have their own beauty, but there is not a native North American bird that has more iridescence than a wild turkey. Yeah, they are, are, are an impressive animal, and uh, you know, as we have conversations about um, species, wild game, and specifically with their senses. Yeah. And turkey have an incredible sense of sight and hearing, right? Yeah. Oh, and and see, and I, I'm basically so, <laughs> I, I market myself as the gobbler geek. Okay. So when I do my turkey seminars and stuff, because I'm a geek about it, right? I'm not a 
I'm not one of these, you know, reapers and killers. And I'm, I'm a geek. I'm a geek about wild turkeys. And uh, so the thing uh, that I talk a lot about in my seminar, uh, because I'm a geek, is I've done a lot of research on the eyesight of turkeys. So, so a turkey is a daylight active bird. So if you look at the ornithological studies, you know, I read it online, you know, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, they've done a lot of research on the vision of birds. And so a turkey is a daylight active bird. So it's got the same kind of eye as these other birds they're studying. And what they found is, is so us humans have three types of photoreceptors in our eye. We see in red, green, and blue, RGB. Yep. Rods and cones. We know what rods and cones are, right? Yep. So we're talking rods and cones now. Now you look at a wild turkey or any kind of daylight active bird, when they look at their eyes under electron microscopes, they have four types of photoreceptors and compared to our three. So we got good color vision, right, us humans? Yeah. Birds have better. So what's the fourth one then? Well, they say it's ultraviolet. Okay. So they see RGB and ultraviolet. That's interesting. Now a turkey's feather, so the reason it's got that iridescent color is not because that's a pigmented color. That is a microscopic structure that is bending sunlight. What? Yes. That's amazing. That's why they change colors. The feathers change colors. So now a wild turkey can see in a spectrum that we humans can't. And their feathers are bending those spectrums that we can't see. Just so makes it that much harder to hunt them. <laughs> yeah. You know, or just when I couldn't them. get more confused about what's going on here, you're going to drop that on me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so here's here's my little takeaway. Someday when I, when I die and go to heaven, the first thing I'm going to say is, can I see what a turkey looks like through a turkey's eyes? Yeah. Because, my goodness, I know how beautiful they look to me. Add color, add ultraviolet, add this stuff. It's got to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Jeff, we're going to so let you So am I a geek or what? <laughs> no. You're, you're a geek in the best of ways. There you go. I would say that's wisdom, not geekery. <laughs> and you earned it, my friend. Thank you. Well, we're going to let you get back yeah, over I to got, Yeah, i got to get back to the booth, man. So, ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Frederick, uh, and, of course, he's with Champions Choice. Uh, one more time, where, where can people find you? Like, uh, uh, your, your, your social, yep. your, your YouTube. Yeah, yeah if you, I'm, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook. Jeff Frederick, Champions Choice, YouTube. My actual website is frederickchampionschoice.com. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, sir. You bet. Thanks a lot. Thanks for making it. Good to talk to you guys. Come on now. Honey's on, looking for backstraps. Way deep in the woods. Tracking in a swamp to a hayfield under the harvest moon. When the tags are filled, it's time to switch up our boots. Head down to the honky-tonk, get us a swing dance or two. We're talking about boots and backstraps. 